Romans chapter 5. Now, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can be together tonight in this place. We thank you that we can come together around your word. <clears throat> we do pray, Father God, tonight as we open up your word that you would minister to us and uh, use your word, Father God, to be a blessing to our hearts and to our lives and encouragement to us. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you give me wisdom tonight to share your word, that I might be able to speak your truth according to your will, and that, Father, we might uh, glean from your word this night what you'd have for us. God, our time together, we pray. Bless our time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when it comes to our salvation, you and I need to realize that uh, we have a wonderful thing in salvation. And indeed, all of us who are saved, I'm sure, are aware of that fact. And Paul sets out in Romans chapter 5 to explain to us just how wonderful our salvation is. And he's told us the benefits of justification in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And he's been telling us how great a gift uh, is the gift of grace when compared to the condemnation of Adam's sin in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 17. And now in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul concludes his remarks on the gift of grace. But once again, comparing Adam with Christ. And these two verses, this verses 18 and 19, are designed to do two main things. First of all, they're designed to sum up what the Apostle has been saying in verses 12 through 17. So that we might know, uh, in conclusion, how it all comes together. And he puts before us this concluding summary of the facts of the relationship between Adam and Christ and uh, uh, the wonderful gift of grace that we have in Christ. The second function, though, that this serves is that the study of this great paragraph on salvation, beginning at verse 12, can be very confusing. A very confusing passage if we don't realize clearly how it's divided up. It begins in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 with a statement. And the statement is this, Wherefore, as by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And what we would then expect is that we're following would be the second half of that statement. You see, it ends with a colon, and therefore that means that this statement is not completed. And we would expect the conclusion of the statement, starting with something like, Therefore, to follow in verse 13 but it doesn't appear there. Instead, you get a statement which is in parentheses, a parenthetical section in verses 13 to 17. It's in parentheses, in those brackets. Because the conclusion for Romans 5.12 is not in verses 13 to 17. The conclusion of Romans 5.12 is actually Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. And you can read it that way. Wherefore, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men and justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, 
so by the offense of one shall many be made righteous. So the concluding statement, the summary statement of Romans 5.12 is Romans 5.18 and 19, not Romans 5.13 and 17. Now 13 to 17 is bracketed because in that section the apostle wanted to take some time out to explain the relationship of Adam to Christ. That Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as our federal head, as our representative, and that Christ stands at Calvary as our representative, as the second Adam. He wanted to understand this principle of these two Adams. Adam in the Garden of Eden, Christ at Calvary. But then the conclusion to the statement of Romans 5.12, as I said, is verse 18 and 19. Here he says that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam died, we all died. For we all have sinned. Notice what he says. Wherefore, as by one man sinned in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Therefore, we need to understand the following four facts. There are four facts spelled out for us in verses 18 and 19 that we need to clearly understand in relationship to this matter that in Adam we all sinned and in Adam we all died because we all have sinned. And the first of those facts is that uh, we need to understand that by the offense of Adam, judgment came. By the offense of Adam, judgment came. 18a. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation, or men rather, to condemnation. Here the apostle is setting out a comparison for us. He wants to understand what happened at Adam, and he wants to understand what happened in Christ. He's now going to sum up everything he's been talking about in Romans chapter 5, so that you and I might get a clear understanding of it in our mind. As by Adam's sin, uh, as rather by Adam's sin came into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, why? Why did that happen? Why did verse 12 happen? When God says that by one man sin in the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for the all of sin, why is that true? Well, the first reason that is true is because the offense of Adam, well, by the offense of Adam, judgment came upon all men. You see, you and I were all in Adam. We were in Adam's loins when he sinned. God, therefore, said that you and I also sinned. His action became our action. Adam committed an offense. says that in verse 18. Therefore, by the offense of one, the offense. You know, Adam did not have to commit a series of sins to be judged. In one act of disobedience, God judged Adam. In one act, God tested Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he failed. The term offense here in verse 18 is an act of disobedience. And the word offense, or rather it is termed an offense, an act of disobedience. The word offense means trespass, crossing over the line. You see, what God did with Adam is God told Adam how far he could go. Remember? In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat. Then verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God set the boundaries. And Adam crossed over the line. 
Adam decided to go beyond the appointed limit of God. God said you can eat of every tree except for one. And Adam went beyond the line. He crossed over the line. He went beyond the appointed limit and he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this offense, according to verse 18, brought judgment. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. Now, the judgment here is a judicial sentence. We've all been tried by Almighty God and we've been found guilty. That was Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3, where God took time to spell out that everybody, whether you're a heathen, whether you're a civilized, or whether you're a religious sinner, all mankind is found before God to be sinful, so much so that God says we are without excuse. And so God has spelled out, God has demonstrated that you and I are guilty. And the judgment of God that resulted from that judgment, the, condemn, the, the judgment of God to you and I because of our disobedience, was condemnation. Notice what he says in verse 18. Therefore, by, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Condemnation was brought upon all men because of Adam's one offense. Judgment was passed. And then condemnation fell upon all, for all have sinned. Which is what verse 18 says, and you connect that back to verse 12, it's because we have all have sinned, we are all therefore stand under the condemnation that was brought upon mankind because of the judgment that God passed on Adam. The word condemnation here is the passing of the judicial sentence. And the judicial sentence that God declared upon mankind is death. For the wage of sin is death. Romans 6.23 The judicial judgment upon mankind because all have sinned is that we all will die. When you understand that this condemnation rests upon all men, that's what says verse 18, Therefore, as we are offensive one, judgment came upon all men. Upon all men. We all stand guilty before a holy God. And the reason we all stand guilty before a holy God is because we are all our sinners. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by action. Which is what verse 12 says. As by one man sin uh, entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. By the offense of one, judgment came and condemnation passed upon all because all have sinned. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by action. But you see, that's not the end of the story for which we can praise the Lord. You know, it would be really sad if all we had here in Romans chapter 5 verses uh, uh, 12 through verse 19 is the Adam side of the story and there was no Christ side of the story. It would be a very somber and difficult passage to read. But praise the Lord, that's not the end of the story. The story doesn't end with the condemnation that comes upon all men because all have sinned. We find secondly, that not only uh, that, that while the offense of Adam's judgment came upon the world, by the righteousness of Christ, justification came. By the righteousness of Christ, justification came. Verse 18b. Even so, by the righteousness of one, 
the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. By Adam, judgment came. By Christ, justification came. This verse tells us that like what happened to mankind because of one man's sin, because of Adam's disobedience, something similar happened through one man, Jesus Christ. Now the key in this passage is the fact that he is declared to be righteous. It says, even so by the righteousness of one. Okay, in the case of Adam, it was the offense of one. He crossed over the line. But in the case of Christ, it's because of his righteousness. Christ did not sin. He was without sin. And therefore, he is righteous. Here is a contrast between the two men. Adam committed an offense. He stepped over the line. Christ stood at Calvary, righteous before God. Hebrews 4, please. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He was righteous. He was the sinless Son of God. He was the righteous Son of God. He came to earth, became a man at the incarnation and God becoming a man, that man, Jesus Christ, that God-man, was righteous in all of his doings. And when he stood in our place at Calvary, he stood as a righteous man. He did not offend God. He did not overstep the boundaries. He was righteous. And therefore, through him, the free gift came, resulting in justification. Even so, verse 18b, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men of the justification of life. So the free gift comes upon us, resulting in justification. Paul declares here that the free gift came upon all men, in verse 18b. Now at first glance, this may seem like it's teaching universalism. The free gift came upon all men, that's what it says. For by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. But this is not teaching universalism, that all men shall be saved. And we know that because compare it with other scriptures, but by comparing it immediately with the verse prior to this, verse 17, look what it says. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign by one, Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, which receive. The gift is limited to those who receive it. It is a free gift. The free gift is to all men, but it's limited to those who receive it. Here we have revealed to us, if you like, grace was extended to the totality of the race, but was not embraced by the totality of the race. 
Romans 5.18 compares for you and I not the fact of justification, but the degree of the extension of God's grace that brings justification. In other words, Christ made it possible for all mankind to be saved. It's the great doctrine of reconciliation which we saw once before, which is spelled out for us in Colossians so beautifully. That he was reconciling all things unto himself. When Christ died, he reconciled all things unto himself. He made it possible for all men to be saved. He rendered all men savable. But not all men are saved. Not all men are justified. You have to receive the gift of justification, receive the gift of grace, in order to be justified. So the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. The word unto there, or rather upon there I should say, where it says the free gift came upon all men under justification, the word upon is the word toward. And so you could read it this way, you could read it, so even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came toward all men under justification of life. It means that the righteous act of Christ, that which he did because of who he was, as he died upon the cross of Calvary, the righteous act of Christ in dying on the cross was an act which brought justification to all men. It did not justify all men, but it brought justification to all men. Titus 2.11 says the same. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation to all men. Salvation was brought to us. Salvation was presented unto us. What Christ did at Calvary was he demonstrated for all that all could be saved. He provided the means of salvation for all. In other words, no one falls outside the bounds of God's grace. No one falls outside the bounds of God's love. No one falls outside the bounds of Calvary's love. The blood of Christ was sufficient to save all. This is the all-sufficiency of the blood and sacrifice of Christ. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. And it's a glorious truth. There is sufficient sacrifice there is sufficient blood. There is sufficient grace for all to be saved. Nobody stands outside the bounds of Calvary. All mankind can be saved if they by faith believe. You see, you have to receive the free gift for the free gift to be yours. You know the old illustration, if it's your birthday and somebody has a gift for you, and says to you, you know, here is your gift, what you have to do to have that gift, make that gift yours, is you have to receive it. I mean, if the person with the gift stands there and saying happy birthday and holds up the gift, and you stand there and you look at them and never receive the gift, the gift doesn't become yours. Well, everything's in their possession, it's still theirs, they're offering it to you, but you haven't received it yet. That's the same with salvation. God sent his son to die on Calvary. Christ purchased the redemption of mankind. He died for the sufficiency of salvation for us. 
His blood was sufficient for all. His sacrifice is sufficient for all. So that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But everybody has to receive that free gift by faith to be saved. One commentator illustrated it this way. If I, in one act of brilliance, discover a cure for all cancer, I have, in fact, brought a cure to all cancer sufferers. But not everyone is cured just because I discovered the cure. The cure must be applied. And that's true, isn't it? If someone discovered a cure for all cancer tomorrow, they would have brought the cure to all men. But unless every cancer patient goes to the hospital to receive the cure, then not all men will be cured. Look, they're talking about a a vaccine for the pandemic. You know, well, if they create a vaccine, then all those who receive the vaccine will be protected from from COVID-19. But those who don't receive it have got no guarantee of not receiving COVID-19. You have to receive that which is provided. In the same way Christ's righteousness, Christ's righteous act on Calvary brought the cure for sin, justification to all men. But justification must be applied by faith, which is Romans 5.1, isn't it? Therefore being justified by faith. You see, justification is applied to our lives by faith. For by grace you say through faith. It's faith. It's to him that believes that he should be saved. It's faith. Because Jesus Christ was righteous, he was able to stand in our place and take upon him our penalty, take upon him our sin, and the wrath of God that brings condemnation. So he's saying, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. Every individual must believe personally. You see, God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's faith. It's the exercising of personal faith. It's the exercising of faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary that saves. Except for by grace, he is saved through faith. So everyone must individually believe. Everybody must individually place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation to be saved. But everybody can be saved. Christ died for all the world so that all men might be justified. Now notice the word free gift in verse 18. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came. The free gift is in italics. Which you should know that if it's in italics, it's not in the original. So if you were to get the Greek out, it would read, even so by the righteousness of one, Upon all men, justification of life. Okay? But you'll also notice the italic in the first part of the verse. Therefore, by the offense of one, upon all men to condemnation. 
The translators supplied, judgment came. The reason they supplied is because that's what he's been talking about. He's been talking about the judgment that comes by disobedience. The offense brought judgment. And because the offense brought judgment, they add it there for clarity, that we understand, therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. They do the same here. They add the words, the free gift came in italics, because it's implied in this verse. You see, God's imputed righteousness is a free gift to all. Even so, by the righteousness of one, upon all men, under justification of life. It is a free gift. How do you get this justification to life? It's a free gift. It's by faith. Having been justified by faith. There is no price for us to pay because Jesus paid it all. The redemption price was paid at Calvary. God had said that the sacrifice, that the payment for sin was the sacrifice of a perfect Lamb of God. And Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God which came to take away the sin of the world and the righteous one died upon the cross of Calvary for the unrighteous ones so that those of us who are in Adam could now be in Christ through faith in Him. It's a free gift. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. But to Him that worketh not, but believeth on Him that justifieth the ungodly, His faith is canon for righteousness. If you and I want to be declared righteous, if we want to have justification, then it's by faith. Now, know when we hear in verse 18 that it says that the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all, but the act of righteousness resulted in the justification unto life. There is the results. Therefore, verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So the result of Adam's one act of disobedience, his offense, crossing over the line, stepping beyond the the bounds that God had set, his action of one offense was condemnation. And that condemnation, that pronunciation of the judgment by the judge, was that death passed upon all men. For the wage of sin is death. So the trespass results in condemnation for all. But the one act of righteousness that Jesus Christ committed resulted in justification unto life. That was the end. Uh, It says, uh, uh, Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. We have a glorious truth here that if you're not careful, you miss it. Because the first time I read this, I missed it. I didn't see this last couple of words, justification of life. You see, this shows us that justification does not merely overtain the verdict of guilty. This is not an acquittal, okay, in the court of law, where what's overturned is the verdict of guilty, that we, are, we once were condemned because of the offense of Adam, and because of the offense of Adam, death passed upon all men because of all of sin. And the result of that condemnation is death. God says that 
The penalty for sin is death. The death sentence hangs over us. But Christ, in his act of righteousness, where he died upon the cross of Calvary, you and I, did not just reverse the effects of Adam's sin. He didn't just declare us not guilty. Set aside the sentence of death. But he also opens the gate to life. It's justification to life. What kind of life? This is eternal life. You see, Christ's sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary not only made it possible for justification, but it made it possible also for justification to life. You know, God could have quite easily just forgiven us and made us live in these bodies on this earth eternally. He could have withdrawn the death penalty, couldn't he? For all those who believe, you're no longer going to die. Could have reversed the effects of Adam's sin so that we're no longer under the death penalty. But what existence would that be? Could you imagine living in this world, this corrupted world, for eternity as it is? And all God did was remove the death penalty and you still had the sin nature. Okay, right now... We are born again, those of us who are born again believers, we're living in this world. We do not have the death penalty resting over us, and we've still got the sin nature. And how do you think this life's going? How would you like to live like this for eternity? And God could have done that. God could have simply reversed the penalty, He could have reversed the decision, He could have said, Condemnation no longer rests on them, which is what he did, because that's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is, uh, there is therefore no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not of the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're not condemned anymore. But when Christ died on Calvary for you and I, when he committed an act of righteousness, and it came upon all men to justification. That justification was a justification of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a glorious truth. Christ's sacrifice on Calvary didn't just reverse the decision from guilty to not guilty, it didn't just remove the death penalty, but God gave to you and I eternal life. You see, justification, justification is not merely a legal term that describes our position before God. You've all heard it said. Justification means just as if I never sinned. Which is a simplistic way of saying that God has declared you and I righteous. But you see... This act of justification is not merely a legal term. It's not merely God saying we have been declared legally righteous. It results in a certain kind of life. We now stand in his righteousness and you and I have eternal life. You see what Adam did by one, man, one man's disobedience, one man committed an offense, Sin came into the world and death by sin. And the death penalty rests upon the shoulders of all mankind. 
without Christ. But the moment you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the death pen is lifted and you and I are given eternal life. Because we've been justified, we don't just escape death and hell, we also inherit eternal life. Where, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to come to nation, even so the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men under justification of life. This is a glorious, these two truths are glorious truths. You see, the verse 12 is, is, is a dark verse in the Romans. It says, Wherefore is by one man sin of the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. Why? Why is it you and I have been condemned? Well, the reason is because therefore by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation because of what Adam did. You and I were in the loins of Adam when he sinned in the garden. You and I have all been condemned. Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But praise God, it doesn't end there. Because of one act of righteousness, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men on the justification of life. The death penalty has been lifted. Eternal life has been given. And you and I who know Jesus Christ as Savior now have not only life, but we have eternal life because of Christ. We need to understand these two facts. That by the offense of Adam, judgment came. And by the righteousness of Christ, justification came. We also understand the next two important facts, which you'll have to wait till next week to find head of hope because time has given away from us and I have about as much again to tell you as I've already told you. But let me just tell you the next two things. Verse 19a says, Disobedience of Adam made all men sinners. And fourthly, in verse 19b, Obedience of Christ, uh, or rather by the obedience of Christ, many are made righteous. These four great truths, by the offense of Adam, judgment came, by the rights of Christ, justification came. By the disobedience of Adam, all men are made sinners. By the obedience of Christ, many are made righteous. You know, this is a glorious truth. That you and I were condemned in Adam. Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Because in Adam, the offense was committed. But because of Christ, we have justification to life. Let's praise the Lord for our Savior who reversed the effects of Adam's disobedience for you and me. And now by faith in Jesus Christ we can stand before God our Father clothed in Christ's righteousness declared righteous before a holy God justified possessing eternal life because Christ reversed the effects and more so of Adam's sin. Not only did God lift the death penalty, but he gave unto us eternal life. Next week we'll finish that off, and I trust that we'll meditate upon it during the week as we come together again next week and finish off this verse 19. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word.
We thank you, Father, for Romans and for the, the wonderful truths that are contained in Romans. We thank you for Romans chapter 5. And Lord God, this, this unpicking of this great, great doctrine of the, the representation of Adam in the garden and the representation of Christ at Calvary. Adam, our first uh, Adam, and Christ the second Adam. Adam, our federal head. Christ, our spiritual head. Father God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, he not only reversed the effects of Adam's sin and the death penalty has been removed from all who are saved, but we indeed have justification to life. We have eternal life. And we thank you for that. Lord, commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.